It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Today, we are joined by Temu Arena. Mr. Arena has a professional career of two decades as a technology entrepreneur, author, and professional speaker. He is one of the forefront thinkers on the digital transformation of learning, work, leadership, health, and the future of humanity. His work focuses on studying the intersection of man and the machine and ways to improve productivity, health, and well-being with biological and technological tools. He is a popular keynote speaker who has presented in the USA, UK, Japan, Russia, China, Germany, among many others, and was selected as a Speaker of the Year by Speakers Forum in 2017. He is a true world-renowned biohacker, and with that said, we are so honored to have him on the podcast today. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So I love just diving in and asking a little bit about like your story and what brought you to biohacking. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the way how I got started is I'm 41 now, and when i turned 30 i got a stress-related illness um basically just not sleeping enough and working too much and all of that that was a was a chronic chronic condition that, or turned chronic um and i healed myself from it with biological and technological tools i first um basically like dive deep into my issue and because i don't trust any gurus or anything i went straight to the medical literature and databases and i was basically looking at inflammatory diseases and my own issue was was a gut issue it was an ulcer and uh, chronic stress related related like uh, condition and the way i healed myself from that was basically uh, i created a seven step plan for myself one one of them was nutritional interventions combining uh, an anti-inflammatory diet with um, uh, restriction of food items that would be potentially problematic, uh, increasing inflammation or 
that I could potentially be allergic to, which I did an allergy test on, or food sensitivity test. And then also correcting uh, micronutrient deficiencies, um, as well as uh, full blood work, uh, looking at different hormones and um, organ systems and biomarkers and uh, addressing them with diet and lifestyle changes. On the lifestyle change side, that was uh, sleeping enough, stress management, meditation, um, as well as um, circadian rhythm alignment. That was, uh, yeah, it's over 10 years now. So that was 2011. Um, and what happened was that I, when I started implementing it, like maybe three, three, four months later, I didn't have any issues anymore. And uh, four or five months down the road, I noticed my energy levels were back. The pain was gone. And when the summer came along, I didn't have any seasonal allergies that I had all my life. So I learned like practically what it means to epigenetically change things and what happens when you re-stabilize or restore the balance in your body. Uh, I learned the hard way what it means, what homeostasis means, so the natural way how the body is uh, balancing um, things. And I helped it a little bit. And in the end, that became like a lifestyle. So I started writing a book called The Biker's Handbook together with my colleagues, Dr. Oli Sovjärvi and uh, nutrition specialist Jaakko Halmettoja. Uh, that came out first in Finnish language in 2016 and 2019 in English, became a best-selling knowledge book in the category uh, over 500 pages and uh, 1,500 medical references, hundreds of illustrations. Currently, I'm writing a sequel to it. It's called The Resilient Being, which looks at resilience from the level of single cell up to the whole organism, physical, um, mental, social, um, and actually also spiritual resilience. So it's connecting also consciousness teams. Um, I've been organizing the Biker Summit for these last 10 years since 2014. Um, next event is in Amsterdam in a few weeks, uh, in mid-October. Uh, people can find more information at bikers, bikersummit.com. And the next one next year is our 10-year anniversary uh, in Helsinki. That will be in July. So I've been for the last decade pretty much looking very closely about this whole biohacking thing, the trends, um, and also speaking professionally about the topic for for the last 10 years. So yeah, I guess I've been there quite a long time and seen a lot of things coming and going, uh, trends in health and wellness. I have measured just about anything. Uh, I, I track hundreds of biomarkers on a regular basis. Um, I do different things in terms of daily routines. And uh, biologically, I'm younger than my chronological age. I look also much younger than 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds pretty cool. I I got into biohacking you know, a bit ago for my own personal health reasons as well, a lot gut related and biotoxin related. Um, but I mean, just to, you know, I've, I've read a lot about you. I've listened to a lot of your 
um, podcasts and even your speaking events and um, even your book. I've been a longtime fan of that. And I'm excited to hear you're coming out with another one that will be really exciting. So was there any like kind of game changing pivotal moment during that initial year of like researching, looking into like the actual scientific literature? Was there any pivotal moment there? I would say like most people have opinions about diets, but very few people have actually done those like in a consistent manner to see how they affect you. And things like, um, I would say like for the last 10 years, I've been pretty much on a cyclical intermittent fasting type of diet. I do eat meat, but I've increased the quality of ingredients a lot. So... And also for plants, not just for animal products. Uh, so I go for nutrient density, um, um, basically as original and natural form as possible, fresh, um, and also home cooked. And also, like in terms of like macronutrients, I would say I've been pretty much ketogenic, um, but I do eat carbs, um, but not like every day or at every meal so it's i'm a bit restricted on that side mainly move that to the evening if something like that um i've been pretty much on a one meal a day is most of my week so we have been told to eat several times a day and snack and all that um now we know from the research on autophagy how the body is recycling damaged cells that how important it is to give a break to your system, but also like how the things that are challenging and stressful to the body are actually activating many pathways related to longevity. So I do regularly go to sauna and ice baths. That's quite trendy in biohacking, but in our culture in Finland, it's basically part of our culture, like everyone as a sauna and this is a sauna expert here so it's like nothing fancy but yeah. to do it consistently that's one thing what i also noticed with breath work and meditation is that <clears throat> it's not about doing it once in a while but when you do something repeatedly every day um, you actually start to see the benefits of let's say for your mental health or or reduced stress levels when you do something like that on a consistent basis so in terms of dietary paradigms, I also had gut issues, but pretty much my diet has, uh, which has been optimized for my biology, has been keeping me in a good shape for the last 10 years. Uh, not really any gut issues. I'm pretty aware what might cause them. Um, uh, I'm not like a fundamentalist that I'm like, say that some food items are bad and others are yeah. good, um, but I'm very aware of what you do repeatedly um, can be a problem and that some food items it's good to process them but some you want to keep intact just to give you an example tomatoes when they're raw like you don't really get the lycopene out of them so cooking them is a good idea but you don't want to do that for some other food items um also in terms of uh, cooking preparation methods, many studies on, let's say, meat causing cancer 
is linked actually to the um, carcinogenic compounds that come from the cooking methods or processing of meat. But you can still like, I mean, you can process meat by making a crock pot or slow cooking or sous vide or something which is much healthier, more um, more beneficial for the body in terms of nutrient availability and reducing um, carcinogenic compounds in the end product. And then from microbiome standpoint, I would say it's the cyclical nature of eating. <clears throat> so many people, they when they get on ketogenic diets or vegan diets or whatever, they, they tend to eat the same food items over and over again. Yeah. You can develop food sensitivities in that way if you eat like if you think eggs are good for you and you start eating like a lot of eggs every single day, that can cause food sensitivity. So the thing here is that you cycle things in and out. You don't go crazy with one food item uh, because your gut bacteria is eating like what you are eating. And by increasing the diversity and variety, you reduce a lot of the issues of eating the same thing over and over again. And also the other thing is that um, I'm eating seasonally, so I have very different diet different parts of the year also in, in many ways. Uh, for example, I don't really eat fruits in the winter, uh, but I might have some in summertime. Uh, I don't eat that much spices in springtime but uh, or summer, but in wintertime, that's like all the thermogenic plants are very abundant, medicinal mushrooms, all of that. And when you increase the diversity of food items, um, that feeds different types of gut bacteria and the diversity of gut bacteria has been linked to good health. So yeah, it's like, like these are pretty simple things, but these are not part of dietary recommendations in any country. It's usually some kind of food pyramid or plate model or whatever, like how much you should get vegetables or like you should reduce, let's say meat products. In, in most like recommendations, but it's not about, let's say, eating as much vegetables as possible. It's also the quality of the vegetables. It's the type of vegetables you're eating. So like, for example, dark leafy greens, I, in the summer, I collect like hundreds of plants that I eat. Um, so I don't buy stuff from supermarkets. If I buy stuff from supermarkets, I might go for stronger, uh, stronger color or more bitter tastes, um, and so on. So it's and it's also awareness of what's in the food itself. Like if you eat kale, um, which is great superfood for sure, but you have to know how to process it that you don't like accumulate too much oxalates. There is ways yeah. to bind them. Um, so I, I don't think like any food item is is toxic per se, other than maybe like uh, refined oils. Um, yeah. Basically trans fats, uh, oxidized food items and fats, uh, sugars, which are uh, absorbing extremely effectively and and are basically like almost pure glucose. So like i'm not avoiding sugar but i limit its use for performance reasons and also i rather go with whole whole foods good example might be oranges like eating an orange is a completely different thing than having an orange juice yeah. often uh extract of a plant 
it can be beneficial or not so beneficial. Like if you take, for example, oats, like um, oats contain beta-glucans, which are good for the gut and immune system. But if you juice that into oat milk, like that's basically going to spike your blood sugar, like any kind of soft drink. So it's this awareness of food items, how to process them properly, uh, how to use them, so that um, when I repeat it, use it's not accumulating damage. Like even with vegan diets, people think that going like raw vegan or something might be healthier, but uh, vegetables contain a lot of anti-nutrients, but not yeah. all anti-nutrients are bad. Like there is benefits for saponins, for example. Um, some things that are in vegetables are protective agents um, and in large quantities can be problematic. In small quantities can be more like hormetic stressors, basically beneficial uh, stress to the body. Um, but you can also process foods like vegetables. You can sprout them, you can soak them to eliminate some of these things. Uh, some, of, some things you, you want to use in an original form like I use a lot of sprouts, but then also awareness that if you're using broccoli sprouts, actually you need to oxidize them. You need to damage them to uh, activate the sulforaphane, which is an uh, anti-cancer agent. So freezing them, blending them, like somehow hitting them with lightsabers is actually beneficial. So it's like this awareness, um, I think, which is when you do cumulatively over a period of time will be beneficial uh to, just to give an example like let's take for example plant-based diets people say that you don't get much omega-3 oils omega-3 oils are important for retinal health for prefrontal cortex um the, there is a good amount of study on the fact that we get too much seed oils, too much omega-6 uh, from plant sources and the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio is a key factor for health, but it's an indirect proxy. Like omega-6 is not like bad on its own, but it's competing for um, the same place in the body with omega-3 omega as well. Uh, yeah. so, so then like getting more omega-3 into your diet is a good idea. And the plant-based sources of omega-3 are not very effective in absorbing. I think like ALA converts to uh, usable form only about 8%. But you can improve that conversion with curry. Uh, so the fact that in India they eat a vegetarian diet, they use curry is like actually these strong spices can have other effects. And that's not in food labels. When we look at food labels, we see how much protein, fats, sugars there is. Um, we might see what minerals, key minerals there might be, like magnesium or calcium. We might mm -hmm. see things like key vitamins, like vitamin C, A, E. But like there is no list of polyphenols. Um, if you think think of something like a cup of coffee, coffee has like something like five to six hundred different compounds. All we talk about is caffeine. Caffeine yeah. on its own, yeah, I mean it's a stimulant. Um, if you extract caffeine from coffee, it's a completely different thing from drinking coffee. Um, when you drink coffee, that helps with your blood sugar regulation. Uh, it actually has nervous system benefits. Um, 
it's it's a strong antioxidant actually one of the strongest in western diet coffee on its own is not evil it's uh the amount how much you consume um it's also the quality of the coffee that you drink uh, and it's also genetics like you can be genetically predisposed to having an adverse effect to it people who have that they definitely know if they're slow metabolizers or fast metabolizers so there's all these like individual contextual things like if you take something like b vitamins um vegans don't get enough b12 um so understanding that you get enough nutrients from longevity perspective some nutrients are harder to get or absorb like in western uh diets we don't get enough selenium not enough magnesium um yeah so like and those are being consumed by stressful lifestyles also zinc uh on vitamin side you might see like b6 b12 uh, used in synthesis of neurotransmitters etc um and from the nervous system there like supplementation might help so i think supplements play a key role in supporting already a well-founded diet but even if you are eating perfect diet it doesn't mean you're getting enough let's say vitamin d or um, antioxidants or whatnot so sometimes it's or amino acids so sometimes it's good to supplement on things um, and do laboratory testing so i would say like one of my biggest learnings is also like how to uh, adjust um if you have deficiencies or you have something too much like uh in in my life i've corrected like deficiencies from magnesium vitamin d um i i've had like excess iron i've been removing that so like there is there is different things that you don't really feel like you might feel tired or inflamed like without testing you won't know like what what's going on yeah. so it's important to test and then adjust accordingly yeah yeah no that's that's very true and i really appreciate your approach to dietary diversity because you know even if one thing is so-called a healthy food it may not be right for them at that time or even just repetitive like eating that food over and over and over yes it's going to give you like certain nutrients and even if you're you know, preparing it or soaking it properly or, or reducing anti-nutrients that way is still could develop a food sensitivity. So I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Um, maybe one thing to add. Yeah. Maybe one thing to add, if, if you allow me, is that, um, there is, there, there is like, if you take any diet, like vegan diet or carnivore or, or ketogenic diets, all of them have like some kind of dark side to it like if you overdo it um and most people do pretty well when they change their diet to one of these they feel great for the first couple of years so and the main mechanism is not the diet but the fact that you just eliminated all kinds of crap that you used to use so if you get any on any of these diets or maybe you go vegan you start to eat more plants you see benefits from the polyphenols maybe maybe if you go like you know paleo or something you're reducing a lot of processed foods uh you become the moment when you become interested in nutrition and you start to really think what you eat you will see some benefits and you might feel great and then you become a believer that this is the only diet that's gonna you know save humanity 
and then you run into problems like two or three years down the road. I've seen it happening to hardcore like carnivores, hardcore keto people, like hardcore vegans. Like vegans might destroy their guts. Uh, they might have joint skin problems, neurological problems. Uh, carnivore might have uh, bloating, uh, lower body temperature. <clears throat> um, like they're not, they, they might getting, they might be getting like uh, too much growth hormone. Like there's all kinds of stuff there. Uh, uh, a keto person might, if you're a woman, you might suddenly like lose your periods. Yeah. Um, so, or your cholesterol values like get out of hand. They feel great. Like you feel awesome. You lose weight, but like maybe they get into some problems. So in the end, it's important to also like monitor and adjust and not to like fall prey for dogma and understand that, yeah, you can develop food sensitivities. I've seen carnivores developing food sensitivities. I mean, just yeah, too much eggs, for example. So yeah. uh, pretty much most of the benefits comes from the elimination of processed uh, crap. And yeah, yeah so yeah it's it's and there's so many individual differences as well um um i, I mean I've, I've i've done even like superfood diets you know people go on like um you know they only make smoothies and they drink all their food and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean that can cause blood sugar regulation challenges because i mean you, you drink everything in a liquid form um digestive issues uh, there, there's so much there that um, I would say like cultures developed like diets through centuries, thousands of years. Um, and there's like some wisdom that like really trickled down into them. If you take Mediterranean diet or um, which is very high in polyphenols and seafood, if you take like Japanese food, Okinawa, you know, a lot of things from the sea or you take in Indian or Middle Eastern food, like with a lot of spices, like all of them have their benefits, also also their like challenges, and um, but still, like I mean, the Mediterranean, Spain, Italy, people can be super overweight. They eat too much grains. Yeah, sure. You might have like people in India, like uh, just ha- or Middle East, like having just too much rice everywhere and like uh having diabetes suddenly so and part of, part of it is also like they have like this traditional diet but it becomes processed and mixed up with fast food um you might have yeah. a vegan who is having too much tofu like and getting like hormonal issues like maybe too much estrogen like like it's the more i study this the more I realize, like there is like no silver bullet to anything, and yeah. it's the same with supplements. Also, like we are, we are, we are, we want simple solutions to complex problems. Like just give me the pill that's gonna extend my lifespan. So then, the longevity community jumps on something like NAD or metformin or rapamycin, and and then we discover, oops, there's maybe they're cancer promoting, maybe there is like a handicap like to it, like it's it is like there is there is like no single solution it's usually a combination of things and what really works in humans is actually calorie restriction so that's the most proven method in humans to extend healthy years in your life is just to reduce calorie intake um 
that's a dietary thing that like really works uh and it yeah. doesn't matter which diet you're on yeah no for sure now i wanted to touch on a few things that you mentioned um I want to ask about testing, like, you know, how often you test, what types of tests, gut microbiome, biomarkers you're looking at. And then I also wanted to jump into, because you you started touching on this at the end, but like trends versus things that are more proven and that you practice, you know, in your morning, evening routines and things like that. Yeah. So in terms of testing, a lot of people ask, okay, what should I test? What variable should I buy? Like what lab test? My yeah. question usually is like, what is your problem? Like you have gut issues, you know, you have like sleep issues. Like when you start from there, like if you can nail and narrow down to the things that you actually struggle with there, that's where you will get the biggest leverage in terms of testing if you don't sleep enough you know maybe get an o-ring if you don't exercise maybe an activity tracker but from laboratory test point of view there is a lot of popularity now on genetic tests and it's yeah. quite easy but i wouldn't necessarily start from a genetic or genome test mm -hmm. because it's a bit experimental and um it doesn't take into account what's going on right now so it's more like gives you the blueprint of what's happening um, nutrigenomics like there is a very strong evidence for a lot of things but i see it as the last mile so you want to start from something else and then use genetics to optimize the, the kind of like last missing pieces and so yeah. where i would start from is validated gold standard laboratory tests like basic blood work um lipid values panels like cholesterol and the breakdown of those maybe if you can get into particle sizes even better to understand cardiovascular health you want to understand uh full blood uh as well so that you understand your immune system function if there might be like something going on so basic diagnostics like maybe you have a parasite or something like this that might show up um, yeah. then you want to look at your organ systems that you don't have an inflamed liver or malfunctioning kidneys or thyroid like your overweight problems might not be because of eating it might be just thyroid function for example yeah then like from there um i mean you get like also some basic nutritional markers but from longevity standpoint doing a nutritional panel would be very helpful to get basic minerals vitamins uh fatty acids checked like what is your omega-3 omega-6 balance um the key minerals zinc selenium magnesium iron as an example the key vitamins vitamin d um definitely looking at b vitamins like b b12 for example is is, is a good idea maybe looking at some other nutrients like folate um then amino acids would be also great um to look look at if you if you have any amino acid imbalances and then from um, some hormonal panels would benefit also yeah. um that that helps you to kind of see if uh that's that's kind of in the end like from a dietary 
perspective or lifestyle perspective, hormones are influenced by a lot of things like stress and workouts and all of that. So there's more like behavioral things you can affect, but yeah, I mean, it could be also nutritional. And then... Um, would would you do like any food sensitivity testing or gut microbiome testing if you were specifically looking at like nutrient profiles? Yeah. So then if you detect that you don't have something, then the mm-hmm. question is like, is this genetic or is it gut, right? So then doing like a test, like a microbiome test, um, we we use GI 360 um, that we, we also provide from Biker Center. That is a test which is a pretty comprehensive, gives you an idea of um, beneficial bacteria, also opportunistic bacteria, uh, if there is any kind of parasites. Um, if you have like E. coli, for example, um, some viruses yeah. even, then uh, I mean, you, you, that can also give you an idea of stool constituents, like is there blood in the stool, like all kinds of things like that, um, that can help you to narrow down issues. Um, then uh, what I find also interesting is organic acid tests. So that is like the output, so urine, so that you understand now what is in a cell, what's in the full blood, and then like what's getting out of your body. Um, uh, and that helps you to understand energy metabolism. Yeah. And on top of that, like then a gene test, like maybe your high iron levels is because your body is accumulating iron. Maybe your vitamin D deficiency is a genetic reason that it doesn't absorb very well. So then you can use supplementation to address some of the issues here. If you have a opportunistic bacteria, you fix it. If you don't have enough probiotics, you bring them in. If you have a parasite, you're just going to get rid of it. Um, if you have, a, uh, let's say, certain nutritional things like too much something or too little something, you can supplement on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like that's that's kind of the whole battery of tests that I would go into. And only after that, you may want to look at what's your biological age. like. It's pretty trendy to look at something like that. But what do I do with a number? Okay, cool. I'm like two years younger uh, biologically. um, To me, testing biological age is more of a longevity thing, of course. But you you have like no real idea what you're supposed to do unless you actually measure nutritional status and so on. Uh, And if you fix the nutritional status then your body has all the building blocks for normal functioning. And that's going to extend your potential health span on its own. If you get rid of like some underlying issues, like I have a friend who had all kinds of like brain fog and all kinds of issues and depression and so on coming and going. And it turned out it was a freshwater based parasite he had like for 10 years. And getting rid of that, like cleared that out. Like it might not be more coffee, you know, it might not be, you know, like more sleep that in a situation like that helps. So you actually have to like do something and you can't like know until you actually test on things. What I wouldn't recommend as a test is uh, if we look at food sensitivity panels, like there are the cheap ones, I think it's IGA, like those are more a reflection of what you are eating right now. 
what your body has developed like antibodies towards so it doesn't mean you're sensitive to them so i would go for igg type of test and allergies of course uh, is good to like rule out like you don't want to consume something that causes cause an autoimmune reaction more easily yeah especially if you have leaky gut because then the stuff goes into the bloodstream more readily um, and often often like skin issues autoimmune diseases are are basically originating from the gut lining so supplementation and fixing the gut lining with anti-inflammatory diet maybe having a little bit more glute, l-glutamine to build miseli uh, help the gut lining to heal um, there is there is there is many many things that you can definitely do um uh maybe having more collagen maybe butyric acid um uh zinc carnosine like there there's a lot of things then to do and uh, yeah getting rid of like potential food sensitivities like all of that can help because one of the pretty common like diagnosis is like irritable bowel syndrome like unexplainable gut issues but it's so mm-hmm. broad like it's it's like saying that you are pre-diabetic like uh like what does it mean or you're diabetic like it's it's a number right so with uh with ibs um it can be a very broad diagnosis and the root cause could be a lot of different things and uh healing from it like there's like no single thing that will work for sure you have to like nail it down really like what's what's the issue here and uh, that's where the testing comes into play and i think most people they don't really understand what's going on with their bodies like they think they know what is healthy for them but they actually never tested so i think like starting from basics is very very good idea yeah yeah no how often do you personally like check up on things yeah that's a good question so i would recommend like doing like a full kind of typical laboratory test panel maybe once a year um nutritional panels if you are on a diet and you're changing things like maybe every every quarter every half a year like getting getting things checked um And when you when you find something, let's say vitamin D deficiency, you want to retest that marker specifically uh, until it's fixed. Yeah. And uh, also, when it comes to genes, like yeah, I mean that you do mainly once, right? Um, gut tests every three years or something like this until you have fixed the issues. So that's and then and then some variables. It's it's yeah, good to learn from them as well. I don't use any variables at the moment because I okay. feel like I learned a lot from them. Um, I kind of know already where my heart rate probably is. Like uh, I have pretty good understanding of my sleep quality already. Like like what could affect it. So, but you can use variables to to check on things and optimize things and create self awareness of how, let's say, eating too late might affect or alcohol might affect and uh, how like stress might affect you like from work and finding the techniques that helps to balance the nervous system yeah then 
one of the biggest marker for longevity is resting heart rate um, and morning resting heart rate, heart rate recovery after exercise. Those are beneficial for like generally for longevity. And if you see from your wearable, like your average heart rate rising, like maybe you are not in so good shape. So maybe some exercise could help. Um, yeah, like maybe even you could have like to sleep apnea developing and that's why you have like irregular heartbeat like there yeah it's it's kind of like seeing into the invincible invincible like that you can't like fully see or feel like can you really feel your magnesium levels right so it's that's where testing really is beneficial yeah for sure for sure so i want to get into a little bit of like your routines and things like that like for example, when you sleep, do you, do you do the whole mouth tape thing? Or when you wake up, like what's your first thing that you do in the morning? Like kind of stuff like that. Yeah. I don't have like that much issues with sleep. So I don't, I haven't really done mouth taping or anything like that. Gotcha. I'm a nasal breather. I think that uh, that's a very popular issue people have is that they breathe yeah. through the mouth. So if you have that problem, like it's a really good idea to fix that for sure with some different techniques like mouth taping um what i do in the morning is i try not to look at my phone or take it out of airplane mode on mode until i've done my morning routines what i do every day is i try to do my like uh, personal maintenance things first thing in the day most people when they wake up they try to get out of the door as quickly as possible and go to workplace so i feel that my willpower is not the best after a long day to you know do gym or whatever so i i feel like i need to do those things in the morning so what i do is uh when i wake up is uh basic hydration then i i might actually before that i might roll under a red light which is next to my bed uh wake up there um get some hydration then i usually go to sauna usually i use infrared sauna in the morning uh, if I do an afternoon sauna, then I use like a traditional Finnish sauna. Uh, those are slightly different in effects. And so I start with the infrared. Um, I have a humidifier going on there. So that also helps to, uh, like if if thinking of humidity and so on, like that's that's nice. And it also makes the sauna work a little bit more effectively with respiration being a bit more difficult. Yeah. and. And usually in the sauna, I do journaling. I do. I might do some breath work uh, or training. Uh, I do also some manual therapy, so I might have a massage gun there uh, to open up like stiff place. And generally speaking, sauna in the morning is like really helpful for that. After that, I do like a little bit of like some physical movement stuff. Um, that might be exercise bands or kettlebells or some yoga stuff or stretching. Yeah. The, the thing is that I use sauna as a pre-workout, so I use that to like, like, uh, like someone might use cardio, and because it's a exercise mimetic, it's like a cardio training on its own. And after that, I make usually like a cup of coffee or tea or something, and I I like to experiment, so I'm not like um, making the same beverage all the time. Yeah. And what I put in my coffee can be tens of different things, uh, supplements, maybe some mushrooms, 
bone broth, like organ supplements, like like even my longevity supplements I throw in there occasionally. Sometimes I make a cacos, sometimes I make a matcha tea, like sometimes I just make berries, like 20 different berries, like some kind of like thing. So it's, it is um, one of those things that ensures I, I have like some kind of vehicle to drive things into my system. And I've noticed like, um, personally, I run very well on intermittent fasting. So I have a fat fat-based drink maybe at maximum in the morning i don't have carbs uh in the morning usually and yeah then i take my phone out of airplane mode and i start working on something that's a pretty typical routine it might be different on some days it might be different if i'm traveling but it's that's like generally speaking what i do yeah i try to like on a weekly basis go to sauna like at least five times yeah yeah no that's I I do appreciate again with changing things up and not being super dogmatic with a routine because you know our health is dynamic. So why would we always do the exact same thing? Um, yeah. And then did you, yeah yeah. So I also before we wrapped up the episode, I wanted to get into a little bit of like some of the mental aspects of biohacking and even just personal growth and mindset so if you had like anything you wanted to share on that yeah like one of the things that i've been speaking recently is that people who get into health and wellness they usually go through like some kind of trauma like some kind of health issue like you have had your gut issues i had my ulcers like someone had like maybe someone was overweight or had brain fog like there's like some things you struggle with and that leads you to try these nutritional things of course there's people for whom it's maybe they're just doing bodybuilding and that's how they got into diets but um most people i know in biking like they have like at least like some kind of problem they solved with that or or are struggling with and that driver leads to these healthy lifestyle things and then you get emotionally connected to the things that help you so it's more likely you become like a fundamentalist on that like ketogenic diet or carnivore or whatever like uh, you start to believe in like single solutions to complex problems yeah it's fine i mean that's how we learn but very often this like healthy lifestyle becomes like an identity and it's cool like i mean there's nothing wrong about that but like if your problem in the first place was that you were over controlling on things and you never felt enough you know you had to always kick ass perform like whatever you just like that's how you ended up with stress issues or let's say like it was all about the insecurity of your body image or something like this and that led you to like all kinds of diets and maybe maybe like sometimes some people end up with eating disorders um or or maybe you are like you you go too crazy with bodybuilding and you you destroy your gut like like a lot of extreme things basically uh that lead into health problems so then what can happen is that the health becomes an extreme sport next like i mean it helped you so that becomes like an extreme control mechanism that you try to control your diet and one of the definitions of biking is to control the environment outside and inside of you 
I don't think anyone is really happy by like being dependent of controlling things. Because yeah. if you're constantly worried what you eat, if you're constantly worried if you have like some issues, if you're constantly worried about like in a restaurant, am, am I getting kryptonite foods and all of that, it's uh, it's quite stressful on its own. So from a mindset perspective, I, I like like a 2080 rule that 20% of the time you do stuff that you know will have 80% of impact or improvement. Uh, another way to think about it is that 80% of the time you do things well and then you just allow yourself to do like stupid things like occasionally most likely you will not die of having like a sip of alcohol occasionally you, you won't like have issues like being sleep deprived like a couple of days most likely a lot of these things might actually be beneficial like because of hormetic stress response in the body so we have to go through some periods of stress uh for resilience and adaptation and uh, even even some people might use this as a hack so it could be a psychological hack that maybe you know most of the week they are super super strict and healthy and then one day they just allow themselves a cheat day well some people they they might um basically even trick the body um by eating a pretty like strict diet and then like massively loading it up with carbs and then immediately going back into fat burning mode so that can actually stimulate hormonally like that process even further so so there is there's a lot of that and then there is the the whole like um i i would say like from mindset perspective a lot of health stuff is very easily that you don't allow yourself some things i don't allow myself to eat bread, sugar, like soft drinks, whatever, like you are restricting yourself. And that's also what, why some people like just lame and feel like diets and healthy living is like restrictive. But to yeah. me, the opposite is actually true. It's actually more like you allow yourself to suddenly do all the things you never did before, because now you're eliminating, let's say you're having too much of wheat and you have to replace that with something so suddenly you have like instead of just wheat you have like 100 different things that you're now using so it creates diversity when you actually reduce on on the repetitive stable things and you add something new in it like you're actually allowing yourself to experiment and try and do stuff maybe you get into exotic supplements or herbs or whatever and that that is quite a learning experience also like of discovering new flavors new things like what happens to your body so that's one mind a mindset thing about this whole kind of uh, health optimization thing is it's it's a learning process and you won't you won't learn unless you try and then actually you you are actually getting on a journey of allowing yourself to experiment and do stuff you never did because we are pretty much repeating ourselves all the time otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. i couldn't say it any better and with the approach of letting go a little bit of control you know a healthy amount is totally fine but sometimes like you were mentioning the obsession with it can be counterintuitive you know why are you even working on your health if 
if you're just going to grow an obsession and then increase your stress levels and become like a perfectionist in it. So indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would avoid dogma and testing really helps uh, that you're actually validating your assumptions um, that will give a little bit of like a rationality into, into emotional aspects of these things. And well, one thing about it is that when you do fix your body, you know, maybe your gut, your mind also comes online in some level. Your stress, like your stress management becomes better. Like it's not easy to manage stress if you are hormonally depleted, uh, you don't have the minerals, the vitamins, whatever, you know, you're inflamed. Uh, you are constantly irritated a little bit, like you're more easily triggered about things. And often like working on the body first helps you to recover from that kind of vicious cycle. And then the question is like, okay, what do I do with like all this like calmness and like better stress management and resilience? Do you do, do you use this for your own like selfish needs or do you actually use that for something beneficial? So what is the impact that you leave in the world? And I would say like, um, that's kind of a thousands of years old idea from yoga, for example, that you work on the body so that you can sit in meditation. And it's, it's kind of what it really boils down to. And when you do something difficult, that creates a lot of calmness. Like if you do hard workouts or you do ice baths or hard sauna sessions or endurance sports or whatnot, like it, it just prepares you to deal with life circumstances better. So yeah. I, I would say like a lot of that pushing of envelope is beneficial for mental health, but it's also something that increases our potential health span. But in the end, we're all going to die. So at least that's what connects us all. The question is like, how <laughs> how do you do it? Like, how do you live your life? Maybe the point is not to live as long as possible, to be as healthy as possible. But maybe it's 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 a journey on its own that is worth enjoying. And And then like when you get on these kind of things, you actually expand a lot about like the human experience. So I, I see like it's very liberating potentially to to do these things and test yourself and push the boundaries like like going on diets that you never did before and see what happens. Um, it's, it's It can be a great teacher of things, how you interact with the world basically. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a perfect place to wrap up the episode. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with our audience today. I really appreciate you coming on. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chloe. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to our audience for tuning in today. We are so glad that you did, and we cannot wait to see you in the next one. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, The Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, 
Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.